Welcome to Critically Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critically Thinking Required, the pilot episode of LBW's new podcast we're hoping to release in 2020. You have your hosts, myself, uh, Tim Bickmore, and my colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. In this episode, we talk about COVID-19. Yes, that's right, the most recent news uh, that has had the markets in a spiral effect. We also discuss a little bit about the oil spat going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia and the effects there. But our overall point with this episode is to talk about the qualitative. You know, we talk a lot about the qualitative in-house, and we want to talk more about the fears, the panic. What do you do? What should you be looking at? Is this real? Is this not real? And discuss those feelings, discuss those overall situations, and help provide a different lens or to think about situations like this um, today and then moving forward as it will probably occur. But we're really excited and we hope you continue to listen as we release new episodes coming up here in 2020. We were going to talk about in our blog um, about narrative. Uh, I had recently read Robert Schiller's new book, Narrative Economics, and it really hit home in a lot of different ways because essentially what his thesis was is that when you're looking at potential market downturns, when you're looking at recessions, when you're just looking at overall market turmoil, yes, uh, the quantitative side of things has to be taken into consideration with supply, demand, all of that, but what he was advocating is saying, in a nutshell, and again, I'm paraphrasing, that narrative also needs to be looked at. You know, what, has, what happens during downturns, what's pushing the market fear, what's pushing market down, you know, the selling of, of markets, what does that really look like? Um, and that's what we were going to talk about in our blog. But we decided, hey, you know what, let's try this, uh, this um, podcast-like blog instead and talk a little bit about just what's happening today in today's markets. I think it's a good example of what Robert Schiller was talking about is what is the narrative. Um, so was, we're going to kind of spin it off and talk a little bit. Now, everybody knows that what's really going on is with the coronavirus. Um, I think it's CODA V-19. COVID. COVID-19 is a technical term for what, what the virus is. started in mainland China, and it's subsequently dissipated or has you know, spread across uh, into globally, really, into the United States, into Europe, and that has now caused potential fears. Now, if you read the headlines, if you read articles about what's going on, from a market standpoint, what people are worried about is global slowdown. And that's because China is a very big supply center for a lot of goods and services. And because they had to shut down a lot of their manufacturing for virus control, um, people are worried that those goods and services won't be able to be spread across the world, which that means you're going to have contraction in supply, plus you have travel restrictions, people not going to work, so you may have demand restriction because our economy runs off of spending. So if people restrict spending, you have a supply, a demand issue, aka global slowdown, which means that then the markets are like, don't like that, uncertainty, they're going to start pulling back. Um, and then recently on Sunday of this past week, you had Saudi Arabia as well as Russia come out and have a little bit of a tiff when it came comes to oil production. They couldn't come together on a contract or a discussion um, about what they wanted to do. So Saudi Arabia decided to actually increase production to slash prices to kind of, I mean, in my own personal opinion, this isn't anyone else's opinion, to really kind of throw their weight around um, to see, you know, hey, we're going to bring prices, which then from there spread to the United States, which people who have 
credit facilities or credit debt with energy companies, if oil prices do drop to a certain degree, then they may not be able to afford their debt, which means then there becomes a potential problem. So that the oil, the oil issue in conjunction with coronavirus, in conjunction with travel being halted, you know, I mean, I was watching Sports Center the other day, and it looks like the NBA, the NHL, the MLB, any sports that's going on, they're talking about, hey, or we may play games with without fans, um, because people are just trying. Overall, the United States is trying to control the overall outbreak of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not a medical professional. Um, I don't know exactly what the spread is going to look like, if it's bad, good, you know, how that's going to happen. Um, but we want to kind of give our thoughts and our opinions on, on the overall news um, and then just kind of put it into perspective. So since we have Nathaniel here, you know, he's always our man of the hour when it comes to markets and, and the irrationality of markets. So we're, we're going to have him start. What are your overall thoughts? Hello again. I'm not being tongue-in-cheek uh, when I say the following. The, the British had it right when it came to World War II, when, they, when their phrase, when their motto was, keep calm and carry on. R really, I'm not being, I'm not being cute. Uh, I think that we need to, as, as stewards of our clients' wealth, we need to be cognizant, of course, of what the market is doing. But we can't let it dictate how we invest. We can't let it change our process. That's what, uh, that's what separates us from the crowd, in my opinion, is that our strength is the ability to be rational when everyone else is being irrational. So the way that we execute upon that concept is that we are sticking to doing our jobs be it me with investment management, Tim and Darren with financial planning, Dan with client relations and estate planning, and Ying with being uh, our creative director and office manager. We need to continue to do our jobs, which we are doing. With regards to our clients' wealth, we need to be consistent in our execution of our investment research process, we need to be uh, taking advantage of this downturn, of which nobody knows, and I can tell you this right now, nobody knows how long this is going to last. It could end tomorrow, or it could go for the next 12 months. It could go for the next 24 months. Nobody knows. But what we can do is we can slowly start to take some cash off the sidelines, and start to execute, start to invest in those ideas that we currently are invested within, or perhaps new ideas. After this is done, we then just need to keep chugging along and rinse and repeat. It's that simple. I, I know that there's some people out there, there's some investors, or I, shouldn't, I wouldn't even call them investors, people who call themselves investors, uh, finance, other financial advisors, if you will, who are saying to their clients, oh, we've hedged for this, or we've invested in, in commodity funds for this purpose exactly, or we've got this covered, we're, we, we know what we're doing, we're, we've invested all of your money in the inverse of, uh, of the S&P 500. So instead of the, when the S&P 500 falls, 
you're going to make three to four times whatever that fall is because we've invested you in a leveraged fund. We're, we're, we've, we've got this covered. They don't because most other financial advisors are speculators. And when a downturn like this occurs, they're either investing in what I would call, it's my opinion only, stupid things, uh, things that have no rationality behind the investment thesis, or they're selling out at the most inopportune time. Because typically what happens is there's an overreaction to something, which I think that there is, to a degree, in the market, an overreaction to what is occurring. I also think that corrections are healthy. In the end, where people will succeed is by writing it out. This has been proven time and time again. We read recently a quote from a, um, a newsletter that, that uh, Affiliated Managers Group, AMG, sends out. We, ha we uh, have a couple funds in our portfolio that are, uh, have some affiliations with this company. So we Part receive an email. Family. Correct. And one of the interesting statistics within this, this write-up was the following, that from March of 2009 to March of 2020, if an investor had been outside of the market, the equity market, for 20 of the best trading days within that period, their returns would have been, on an annualized basis, nearly cut in half by just being out of the market for those 20 days. So we're not going to be those people that sell out simply because of the price volatility uh, make it, uh, gives the appearance that we are losing money because volatility is not equal to risk. We say this all the time to our clients. We need to remember that. We need to repeat that. We need to recite that. Volatility does not equal risk. So with that said, I'm going to pass it on to you two if you guys want to add something. What do you got, Dan? You know, Tim mentions uncertainty inside the markets, and I, and I will tell you that uncertainty is uh, uncertainty is a bigger problem for, for the markets than negative news. I really feel that that is a bigger issue because people just get they get more fearful. Even if something is negative, you at least know what to expect. And that does not bring up then the same kind of fear level as not knowing what to expect. And the reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot of headlines. Some, some, some of those headlines are actually contradictory to one another. But there's a lot of headlines out there, and, and headlines will mess you up. And you have to keep in mind that there are incentives for those headlines. There's incentives for those who are writing those headlines to catch viewers. There are going to be incentives for the people that to find ways to profit off of those headlines. So I think people just have to be really careful about that because what we're really talking about here is what the scenario looks like when somebody panics, which maybe is because of a health reason, maybe it's not. But panic is an intense fear um, and or discomfort that reaches its peak in a few minutes. And that causes situations to be a little bit out of control because there's, there's a time mechanism in there that is just, I think everyone could understand, it's just simply unhealthy. And so that causes people to be irrational and emotional, and good decisions are never made in any part, not just finance, when you are irrational and emotional. It's very hard to do. That's a human nature thing. And I'm not trying to discount people's fear. 
by any means. Mm. Fear is very real. We all have it. In fact, we all need to have it because it acts as a flight or fight response. And the reality is, for some individuals, that fear is coming out because maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Maybe you are a person who is investing assets with really not a good idea as to what, how you should be investing those assets. I mean, Tim also talks about the oil situation that has occurred this week too. That issue is actually less about oil and more about credit facilities. But if you, but if you don't know that or understand credit facilities or get the structure, the debt's not an issue as much as the structure of the debt, then you're looking at it as just, oh, oil's going down. That oil is the problem. Oil is not necessarily the underlying problem there. So if a person doesn't understand or know, then their fear response might be telling a message that, hey, I shouldn't be playing ball in this situation, among many other things it could simply tell you. But I think being honest with oneself and recognizing that is really the first step someone has to take to being able to not let a panic control you and make you the victim. Mm. You have to remain in control mm. of your own thought process or else you become, you make yourself the victim. That's yeah. not going to help you. I mean, I think, Dan, to, to, to piggyback off Dan, when it comes to uncertainty and uncertainty with the markets, and we have written about this in a couple of our blogs, and I wish I knew off the top of my head which ones we wrote. And I know Recession Recon is one. Please go take a look at that. Um, we also wrote in one of our quarterly reports, um, or quarterly, yeah, quarterly reports about this as well, is I've always, I've been, I've been calling the market a seer, which I'm a Harry Potter geek. So um, you probably know that one of the professors has a ball and can potentially forecast, you know, what's going to happen in the future. That's and so if, nice. And if you look at a narrative, right, that's what makes Harry Potter such a cool book is that you really don't know, you have an idea of what Voldemort's doing, you have an idea of where Harry can go, but that uncertainty creates fear, it creates excitement, it creates a lot of things, right? And you're trying to look forward, you're trying to forecast. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think it was in February the jobs report came out and you know the United States crushed the job expectations. Unemployment actually ticked down. So then people always ask, well, the economy's not doing bad, but why is the market going down? And it's because they're not necessarily tied together. Now, the market is trying to predict what's going to happen for going forward. So they're saying, oh no, there's a you know, supply-demand problem that could contract GDP going forward, so we're going to build that in today before it happened, before we actually see the data come out and saying, oh yeah, you know what, we did contract over the last two quarters or three quarters or four quarters or wherever it may be. Because when you're looking at a recession, and we talked about this the other day, you also need to understand what the definition of a recession actually means. It's contracting GDP over two quarters is one definition. The Economic Bureau is going to say that it's contracting GDP over multiple quarters. Couldn't just be two, could be three, could be four. And then that GDP contracting in certain areas of the economy, right, over a certain period of time. Now, does that mean that's going to equate to job losses? Job losses is a trickle effect, right? It's a second order effect of GDP contraction because then businesses retract capital. They decide to do hiring, you know, hiring freezes or layoffs in the anticipation that they may lose revenues. And as Dan just mentioned, right, with oil, it's looking at the second and third order effects of oil prices. Oil prices go down, revenues decrease. If revenues decrease, your expenses are still going to stay there. That means you have to do something about your expenses. If you can't afford your interest payments, then it becomes a problem. So it's an overall trickling effect, and the markets are going to try to anticipate that going forward. But as Nathaniel just mentioned, no one really knows where that's going to be, right? So people try to start planning for it, restrict capital, do different things. Um, I mean, again, the... the uh, the administration came out with a potential um, 
uh, spending a surplus to help with potential economic uh, difficulties potentially coming to support it. That's why you know the emer- you know the, the Federal Reserve came out and they cut interest rates to help with saying, hey, you know, credit's going to go lower because right now. If you're in the position, and this is what's, I guess, kind of a positive about this, if you're in the position to refinance your house, if you're in a position to take on debt, it's another great time to actually do it if you have the capacity to do so. Because interest rates are artificially low again, and you can take advantage of it if you're in the position to do so. And right now, as where things stand, some people really are. And that's going to then help, again, with stimulus from just putting cash back into the economy. And if the coronavirus, like Nathaniel said, decided that you know we found a, you know a cure or it, it decreased in overall spread in the next two, three, four weeks, um, you know I recently just read an article today about I think it was from Goldman Sachs I believe was saying that they feel that you know the markets could fall, but by 2021 and like I think of this time next year they think the market's going to be back at 3,200. That's their forecast for the S and P 500. For the S and P 500, exactly. And so it's. You know, but that may not happen either. People, you know, again, you're the seer in Harry Potter trying to anticipate what's going to happen. But depending on the choices of other of others in the marketplace, it may come to fruition. It may not. You know, it's very, very hard to predict the economy because it's multifaceted, second, third, or third order, fourth order, order effects. Um, so if someone's trying to tell you they know what's going to happen, it's a they don't. They don't. It's a farce. I'd like to add on to a couple of things that Tim mentioned, um, and then one of my own. So uh, when when Tim mentions that investors are trying to plan for the unknown, they're trying to plan for the future, they're trying to figure out what these second, third, fourth order effects are going to be with regards to say oil prices falling, uh, the coronavirus outbreak. How is that going? With this, if there's going to be a spread, how is that going to affect people? Well, I can tell you that when it comes to, I'd like to hit back, uh, touch back to my point about our investment process, is that we've already, we haven't, how do I say this? We had, a few months ago, we as we in the U.S. had no idea that the coronavirus outbreak would happen. Not, it, was, it wasn't on anybody's radar screen in the U.S. Or in the world, for that matter. I mean... In the sense, before it happened, no one knew right. that there was going to be a disease. That I mean, there was. I mean, uh, experts have always said that there could be a pandemic. It could always repeat. Like there, there's nothing. There's no getting away from that. But yeah. we, there's no way of knowing. We had no way of knowing that it was going to happen at this time this year. We didn't know that there could be a potentially an oil price war with between Saudi Arabia or Russia. We didn't know these things. So. In terms of preparation, you can't prepare for something like that specifically. But what we have done is our investment process inherently is structured to mitigate events like these. Not the events specifically, but when events like this occur, we are already planning for it in a way by investing in companies at prices that are at a discount to their intrinsic value, like the value that we believe those companies are worth by discounting their free cash flows back to the present. We are already mitigating events like these by investing in companies at prices at a discount to their intrinsic value value. 
So when an event like this occurs, yes, our client's holdings might fall as much or they may not rise as much as the market, but that doesn't matter because of our time frame. We are investing for the long term. That means for us, at least, at least 10 plus years, if not 20, 30 years, a generation, two generations. I would circle back to my previous statistic of that in the last 11 years, if you were out for the 20 best trading days, where there were, you saw the highest increases in your investment, your performance on an annualized basis would have been nearly halved. Nearly halved. That's 50% difference in your return. And on a compounding basis, it's actually more in assets than just a simple 50% cut. Nathaniel mentions time frame, and when it comes to investing, there really isn't anything that is more critical than than understanding the time frame. Absolutely. And this is not just an asset management conversation. Asset management is not just what this firm does. In fact, this firm probably spends just as much, if not more time, talking about real, true, dynamic, agile financial planning. And what, what that means is it's a positioning conversation. So when we talk about what we can do and what people can do, it isn't just about asset management, which needs to be debunked because that's what people talk about. But it also means that we have to look at an individual's life as their own business and positioning them so that they can withstand that situation. Not just withstand that situation. Let me back up there, actually. Take advantage of it. Not, not everybody has the opportunity to do that. But there are a lot of people that do if they can get past this fear situation and really focus on it and mm -hmm. be preemptive, meaning they do that planning work ahead of time, just like we do our prep work for our investing ahead of time so that they are ready to roll when situations like this happen. Because if you have cash on hand and we know we can calibrate a person's life, which is really a big thing we do here at this firm, then we know what you spend, how that could be allocated, what's disposable, what's not, and that's where we can have conversations about does this really impact you and does it actually present an opportunity for us to buy things that are going to help bring purpose to your goals and make those goals even easier or better in achieving them. Yeah, and I don't I, mean, I don't mean to digress here, but Dan, you know, how to throw in the financial planning hat, which I'm happy to add a little bit onto that, but I wonder if some of our clients, um, if you know, let's say that, that this happens to go into a financial crisis like 2008 and people do lose their jobs and it becomes a little bit more severe, which I'm not sure if that will or will not happen, but I think our clients might be happy that we keep, you know, emphasizing <laughs> to a certain degree emergency funds mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and positioning. Yeah. This is where they come in yeah. handy, folks. You know, I mean, and, and if, for example, you know, some of the things that Dan's talking about positioning is does it make sense now to do a Roth conversion? Take advantage of the market decre decrease, right? Mm. Does it make sense to get a refinancing? Does it make sense to buy that home because we saved cash for the home to get into lower rates that we weren't anticipating six months ago? Mm. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about if you're in the position to be excited about it, mm -hmm. um, to be able to take advantage of situations like this. 
I mean, if you go back to even 2008, if you were positioned and you positioned yourself well enough, which a lot of people were unfortunately just didn't have the ability to do in certain markets and certain areas, but if you did, buying real estate in 2009, 2010, 2011, mm. is a great buy mm. because things were so depressed. But you had to be positioned prior to 2008 to be able to take advantage of 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. And that's what we always try to do is position clients for events like that from a planning perspective, not just an asset management perspective because as Nathaniel just mentioned, a time frame is there's not much you can do. You gotta just ride the markets. And that doesn't matter if you're active and or indexing. Mm -hmm. It's the same time frame. And it, and it baffles me from an asset management standpoint. And I, I encourage people, if you, if you look at active management and you wanna go read up on Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, all of the famous investors, great. Then if you go, I would, I would implore you to then go read all of the indexing fathers. John Bogle, go read, I mean, he's really the, the one that I would really yeah. hit on. Go read about him. And if you start comparing their overall thought process. It's very similar. It's very similar. Give it time, let it ride. It's gonna go up and it's gonna go down. Be consistent. And be consistent with what you're doing and be convicted in it. Mm. And so it, it's just, it's just funny because people want to sometimes pin those people against each other. Like, and it's like, why are you, why are you pinning two of the same thought process? They're just implementing slightly different because they may have different skill sets or just have different beliefs or values, and they're going to implore it and and and, and implement it differently. Um, so, anyways, that's that's where. I, but I do agree with Dan on the financial planning pieces. It is about positioning because just like Nathaniel said, when we plan, we also don't know that the coronavirus is coming. We don't know that oil prices or energies, which could affect the markets, which could then constrict jobs and people could start losing their jobs. So we have to assume and build for it. And going back, that's why emergency funds are important for everyone to have. Mm. People will, people are fascinating creatures. Mm. They will cut off their nose to save their face in the sense of you, Tim just mentioned, for example, one thing that should be considered, and he's dead right, is should you look at a Roth conversion? Yes. But going back to the incentive comment I made earlier, uh, we've heard it already. Advisors is telling people, oh, do a Roth conversion. If you don't know the positioning, and I don't care what people think, most people, the vast majority, think they know or know they don't know, but then they just they don't know what their positioning really should look like and what it, what it does look like for them. It, for example, if, if someone tells you do a Roth conversion, numerically that's, that makes a lot of sense. But if you're age 50, for example, and you go and do that, you may not, yeah. You may not be able to do it because, because you have to bring cash to the table to avoid an IRS penalty because you're under the age of 59 and a half. So are you positioned to bring the cash to the table? And what does that mean as an opportunity cost the rest of your life? Do you truly know that? Most people, no, you do not. So that, that again, I think is where opportunities come up here, but you've got to be able to sort through that and actually do that. And I'll tell you too, something else actually that was brought up in this conversation that I find absolutely fascinating. So um, I, I think Tim actually was the one who mentioned looking at recessions a little bit too. So. People remember what they want to remember, whether that's conscious or subconscious. <laughs> so that's, true. that's what it is. So when we talk about recessions, everyone thinks of 2008. Why? Partly because it's the last time we saw that, which is incredible because we've had 11 recessions since the Great Depression. It's just been a really long time since we've seen one. Abnormally, I think the longest time, actually. It is the longest And time. it brought a lot of pain to a lot of people. And it, that's right. So you remember it. Totally makes sense. Don't forget it. That's dangerous for you to forget it. But the reality here, too, is Tim mentioned job loss. 
So the reason why for most people to, to 2008 was so significant compared to, the, to 2001 is 2001, we saw fairly similar market decreases. Mm -hmm. But 2001, you're talking 1.5 million job losses compared to 2008, where I believe the number was more like six. Something, yeah, I was somewhere or close to six. I have to go back to our blog and look at the numbers, but. Whoa, that's a significant difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of that fear is coming from, because it's one thing to see your market, the market go down and you don't have, you can't retire three years, you know, when you thought you were going to. It's another when you can't pay your bills because you don't have a job. Mm -hmm. Not all recessions look the same. In fact, none have looked the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't know what that's going to look, but again, you remember what you're going to remember. And I'm going to bring in a conversation I actually had yesterday. I was talking to a friend of mine who's, um, who's a, she's, a, she's a medical specialist, a doctor, really intelligent, wonderful woman, really intelligent person. We were talking about this. This is not the first, the coronavirus pandemic to ever hit, um, hit the world. It's mm -hmm. just not. And it's not going to be the last. But you're, you're also talking variations of that in, in, of, in 1930, in 1976, in 1988. So I'm talking to this person and saying, look, it's not the first time we've seen this. And the person's response to it was, well, it's the first time we've seen this in our adult lives. I mean, this, this person is um, in, their, in their 30s. And it actually isn't. But you don't, you don't remember that because it may not, be a, may not have been an exact impact on you. In 2003, we had SARS. Mm. In 2009, in April 2009, until August of, of 2010, we were looking at um, another version of the swine flu. Mm. So, um, so I think that was H1N1. Um, so regardless, we're going to see these kind of things, but we remember what we want to remember. And I think we have to get past that to really handle these situations in a safe manner. Which is interesting that Dan Brown brings that up because, and I would say, please go read Robert Schiller's um, Narrative Economics. It's a fascinating book, and he puts a different lens on downturns and and overall the, the machine that is the media. And it's it's quite fascinating. But you know, he does mention within that book that what's interesting about this is that the fear is real, right? Regardless if we want to say, oh, you know, it's 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 irrational and all that. That irrationally does create problems. But once again, they're short-term problems. Mm -hmm. it, it, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not a problem because Dan is right. People are going to look back at 2008 and it's amazing. Even just we have the luxury to talk to multiple people about this and hear different concerns from people all across the board and everyone is scared of 2008. You know, mm. we ha I had talked to one individual. It's like, he's like, it brings up that stress, that feeling that I felt in 2008 when I, you know, credit facilities washed up and I couldn't go and get anything. Like it was, he's like, I feel that right now, even though I know <laughs> that it may not happen, but it's like, it brings it back up. What psychologically speaking is very real, hmm. but you have to then, as Nathaniel says very often in this room, keep calm, carry on, right? But it's not easy, No. but it is the rational thing to do and to continue to prepare yourself and position yourself for those type of events because well, I, I just keep thinking is we're literally we're literally living history right now, and hopefully in ten years I'm gonna go back to J.P. Morgan's sheet where it, it lays out the S&P and then it shows all of these things that have happened across history. Mm. 2008, the oil embargo. Yeah, in yes, the 70s. I, I love that graph because I'm just like, oh, now we have the coronavirus and they're gonna that's gonna be the new dot. Mm. It's gonna be the <laughs> coronavirus back in 2020. And, you know, and then whoever that we may bring on and that they're young, they're going to be like, well, what's the coronavirus? Huh. You know, it's like, oh, 
well, it was this thing. They're like, well, I was dumb. It's like, well, it wasn't dumb at the time. <laughs> you know, but then you look at the stock market and it's increased significantly, right, what, since the 1920s? Yeah. Um, and it's just fascinating because it depends on the lens that you're looking at. And I will give credit to Lawrence University, the school that I went to, that they always talked about what if you were an alien, <laughs> right, living in the universe, looking down on Earth. And they always gave the example of they would probably think that dogs were the controllers because the dogs were having the humans pick up their poop, right? So it depends on what lens you're looking at the world in. That's a good point. Right? So this is also a lens because you're looking at it from a very specific <coughs> time frame, but sometimes you have to extend your lens and look at it in a different way. Yeah. And it then goes back to positioning, both asset management and financial planning. It, it reminds me of... Um... It reminds me a lot of just over 20 years ago. I, I was a student just over 20 years ago. And, uh, and uh, I remember my job that year, my part-time job well, was working in a grocery store. Yeah. And I remember Y2K coming oh, through. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't recall what it did to the market, honestly. But because we only remember pieces, right? Mm. But what I do recall is I remember swarms of people coming in. Because I remember just sweating bullets, bagging groceries. Just taking everything they could off the shelves because things were going to crash next week. Uh, and they, they didn't. Um, it, it's just interesting when you take segments like that. So this is actually a really great, uh, we hope at least people, our audience thinks this way, a really great uh, intro into um, a podcast series that we're looking to release sometime later this year. And uh, one of the things that we like to do then is really kind of wrap it up with a thought to leave our, our listeners to. And I think really that probably fear is blinding, we know that, so maybe that we should have a theme to this thought, and I think that theme probably should be, what should you do? And, 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 and we can give our opinions on what you should do, and I'll, I'll kick it off since, to give these other two gentlemen some more time to think about it, but uh, what should you do? You should talk about it. Fear is a natural feeling. You should talk about it. There are other people feeling that as well, too. Mm -hmm. And I think sounding boards are really important. Steve Jobs, not a huge fan of Steve Jobs, but he, he did some pretty remarkable things. Um, Steve Jobs would talk about zooming out. And what that meant to Steve Jobs is it meant you stop what you're doing and you go for a walk. And you clear your head and you try to get some fresh air and think about something rationally because you know your nature is not to. That's zooming out. Zooming out makes a lot of sense. If you need help doing this, because because you can't get out of yourself, that makes sense, then find other people that can help you with that. Whether it's a professional like us, mm -hmm. that you know you realize this is not your cup of tea and someone can do it better and it's an opportunity cost, then great, talk to them. Whether it's a family member or a friend, great, but talk about it and give your chance, your chance to give your mind a, a zooming out period so that you can be rational about it. Yeah. Um, Dan kind of stole mine. But I'm he's, sorry. He's, he said it very way more articulate than I probably would have. He always does. Um, but I, I will say to kind of, I guess, piggyback off it, add a little bit more to it, is, you know, in today's day and age, which is just another fascinating piece of where we are today in this world, is information. We are in the information age. Um, and information can be blasted at you just like we're blasting at you right now hmm. in a lot of different angles, either through vlogs, blogs, Podcasts, social books, media. social media, Twitter. You just have to be careful on what you're reading. As Dan mentioned earlier on in this um, in this episode, that you know 
there are sometimes articles that you can read both sides of the story that this is going to be fine. This is the end of the world. This is, you know, going to create, you know, swarms on Area 51. You know, I mean, there's just so much that can come at you. You have to be very conscious of, number one, echo chambers within what you're listening to and who you follow on social media. They may just be reiterating that same thought process. And I would say I would implore you to make sure you look at all sides and then make sure you look at the information that's given and the incentives behind giving that information, right? Dan did hit it on the head. Media is will promote the bad to get you viewership in. So you have to take the information, understand it, and make sure that you're looking at it from all angles and pr- applying your own thought process independently, right? Don't get swayed one way or the other. Look at the, the real information and then go back and look at your situation financially, not your neighbors, not your grandparents, not your parents, not your siblings. Where do you sit? Is my job stable? Is it different than others? Where am I really at? And it doesn't matter what everyone else in this world is doing other than your household and your family. So that's what I would I would do right. is look at it singular, not as like, you know, don't take on other people's stuff. It's all about you yeah. um, and making decisions for you. So that's definitely in a situation of any fearful event. That's what I would do. I'm glad you said that. I think that's actually better than what I said, too. Well, you're right. I yours is really good, too, though. <laughs> think about things from an absolute standpoint. Yes. Dead on. Mine's simple. Be rational. Really, th- this is the time. I, I, I like to say that a lot, but we all need to be rational. But if I understand that sometimes people can be irrational, and that's okay. It's okay, as, as both Dan and Tim said, to be fearful. It's important to communicate those fears to other individuals that can help you with those fears. Um, I'm human too. I feel fear just like anybody else. I feel stress. I'm not inhuman. But it's also my job to be rational. So I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to execute on our investment process. I'm going to continue to research new companies, maintain the research on our current investments, and I am going to continue when cash is available uh, to invest that cash. Uh, corrections happen all the time. You never know when they're going to happen, but they're going to happen. And when they do, they're healthy. It's a healthy thing for the markets to correct like this. And we mitigate those corrections by making sure that our investment process is constantly working in the background, constantly revising our process, making it better, making it stronger. And we will continue to do that. Well, I think it was pretty good. I thought so too. Hopefully that helps. And uh, and thank you for your confidence in us. Yep. Um, we appreciate you very much. And let us know if there's any other questions. We're here and happy to talk about any thoughts, concerns, or fears a person may be having. And Dan had mentioned that we are looking to release our own podcast, hopefully here in 2020. And so please look forward to uh, hearing us talk about things that we love. And we will uh, talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only 
and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.